You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. lights the path in which we're to walk. He shows us how to walk and what we're to do. Jesus has given through the God's word a blueprint, if you will, footprints for us to follow. And one of those footprints, he taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. Jesus has given the model prayer, which you can find through the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call it the Lord's Prayer. What do you think of when you hear treasure map? Pirates? Gold? Just like a treasure map shows you where to find riches, Pastor Dave tells you today that Jesus has given everyone a valuable example of praying for others, for those closest to you, prayers of protection, unity, and joy. Remember, friends, prayer's powerful. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17. As he begins his message, Jesus prays for his disciples. You are In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we are still talking about how Jesus is praying for his disciples, and we might even get through that section today, but don't expect these little treats every day. John 17, specifically verses 9 through 19. John 17, an incredible, incredible chapter recording Jesus' prayer. An incredible chapter. I've gotten so much out of it for my own personal benefit. I hope that you have too. So we are in John 17. Let's read John 17, verse 9 through 19. Jesus is speaking. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. We have been going through the book of 1 Peter. 
It is a very interesting book written by the Apostle Peter to those that are scattered in various parts of the world. We read in 1 Peter 2.21, and I'm going to read that for you. In 1 Peter 2.21, this is what the Apostle Peter wrote. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, in context, which is very important, Peter is speaking about suffering, something I know you all want to hear about. Peter is speaking about suffering justly or unjustly for Christ. And he's using Jesus as the perfect example of one who suffered unjustly but did not revile back at them, did not come back at them when he he had all power in the world and in the universe to come against them. But he did not. But I want to take this further. Jesus left us a perfect example. He left us a perfect example, not just of suffering, but in everything. Everything you can think of, Jesus has left us a perfect example. Conduct, submission to the Father. Yes, suffering without cause and not reviling, absolutely. But Jesus is the perfect example of love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. I mean, the list goes on and on of what Jesus gave us examples of in his life. He told us what manner we should strive to live for and showed us. He's our example of humility. He's our example of meekness. And he's our example of obedience and so much more. There is so much more that Jesus has made example to us that we might glean from him and live accordingly. Jesus is the perfect example in all he did. And then he has asked us to follow him. Follow me. Simple words, but yet oh so difficult. Simple words, but oh so difficult to live up to his standards. He has shown us the way. And I love the second part of this Second Peter verse, where it says in verse 21, that you should follow his steps. That you should follow his steps. Jesus not only told us how to live, he demonstrated it for us. We see it in his word. He showed us by example. Throughout the word of God, we see Jesus' footprints everywhere. Footprints that give us a way to live. Footprints that help us to see the direction. The psalmist In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Jesus, the light of the world, lights the path in which we're to walk. He shows us how to walk and what we're to do. Jesus has given through the God's word a blueprint, if you will. Footprints for us to follow. And one of those footprints, he taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. Jesus has given the model prayer, which you can find through the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call it the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus told them in Matthew 6, 9, in this manner, pray. So the Lord's Prayer becomes the how to pray. In whatever manner we should pray, it doesn't necessarily mean what we should pray. 
It means the how to pray and what manner. However, it is a most beautiful prayer, and there's certainly absolutely nothing wrong in praying it. Let me make that clear. But here in John 17, in John 17, what we have been studying, Jesus now is giving us another beautiful prayer and another beautiful example of prayer. He is giving us this gorgeous example of intercessory prayer. This has been called Jesus' high priestly prayer because Jesus is taking the place of a high priest. He is our high priest. And he is making intercession for us. And he's making intercession for us even as we speak. He's making intercession for us. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he prayed it out loud. He wanted his disciples to hear this. He wanted them to hear what he was saying to the Father. And we have these words before us that we can read. And as I said, we are privileged to listen in. We're privileged to listen in on this most intimate personal conversation that Jesus is now having with his Father, our Holy Father, our Heavenly Father. And we get to be privy on this conversation. What a, what a privilege it is. But he prayed this prayer out loud to encourage the disciples and to encourage us, I might add. He wants to reassure them that he cares for them extremely deeply. He wants to reassure us that he cares for us really deeply. He wants to assure these men that they were always and will always be in his heart. And I think this is paramount. The 11 who remained with him had accepted Jesus' words. They knew that he was God. And they believed that the Father had sent him. And they were comfortable in that. And they, Jesus expressed that to the Father. This was a huge step of faith for these guys. These men have come a long, long way. They have gone basically from being curious about who Jesus was to being convinced that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, to being committed to him totally. Peter, I'll die for you. These men were totally committed to Jesus. So as we come now to this last section where Jesus is praying for his disciples, we see the meat, so to speak, of this beautiful prayer, this beautiful intercessory prayer, as Jesus now comes to the fathers and says, I pray for them. I pray for them. Now, this section I've divided into three different petitions, if you will. The first petition is that Jesus prays for them because they belong to him. They were given to him by the Father. And he knows that. And he loves them. And then he prays that they would be kept safe. That they would be guarded from the enemy. They would be guarded from the world and the devil. And while they're being guarded, they would experience wonderful unity and joy. And finally, he prays for them that they may be sanctified. That they may be sanctified. So as we begin this section, and we look at verses 9 through 11a, he opens this I pray for them section with the most tender of words and a tender concern. You get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. He says in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Let's wait a minute, hold that right there. In this section, Jesus gives us two reasons for this particular petition, if you will. They're his disciples. That's number one. They're his guys. He spent three and a half years with them. He taught them. He lived his life before them. He included them in, in his miracles and signs and wonders. He watched them, watched them grow, and, and they watched him in everything he accomplished and everything he did. And he prepared them for such a time as what was happening right now. He prepared them for that. He knows them intimately. He knows them better than they know themselves because if you remember way back in John 2, it said that Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. Jesus knows them better than they know themselves. So if we look at this as our example here, I believe that this is also how we should pray. We should pray for our loved ones first. We should pray for those who we love dearly. And perhaps you heard there was a minimal prayer that a man used to pray, and he prayed for his wife himself and his son John with this prayer, us four and no more. Well, this is okay. And it might be the way you pray, and that's perfectly okay, because why? Our loved ones are so precious to us. The ones we love are so precious to us that they should be first on our list of prayers for intercession. My wife and I pray evening and morning and sometimes even in the afternoon always for our children and our grandchildren because they're on our hearts and they're the ones we love so dearly. And then also we pray for our brothers and sisters and yes, we do pray for you too, all of you. But we pray first for those we love dearly so close that are close to our hearts. The Lord is feeling this love right now and he sees these guys that they're a gift from the Father and they're precious to him. Anything we have from the Father should be precious to us. The Father has given us all things for life and godliness. He's given us so many things and we should count those as precious. I mean, if you don't come with something to be thankful for in the last year, I wonder why. I wonder why the fact that you're still alive and your heart's beating would be plenty to be thankful for. Although being with Christ would be great. But what does he mean he does not pray for the world? Well, remember we talked about the world as being a system, a culture, not the planet, not humanity. He's not trying to transform the system. He's not trying to organize a political overthrow. He's praying for the men who have been given to him by the Father. Those that he has pulled out of the worldly system. Those that are close to him, closest to him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have any concern for the world. That's far from it. Why did he go to the cross? For God so loved the world. Why did he come to earth? Because of the world's sin. Because of man's sin. You want to hear him pray for the world? You want to hear him really pray for the world? I have a great sentence that he prayed for the world in. It's found in Luke 23, 34, hanging on a cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
What a great prayer for the world. Jesus is also conscious that he's leaving these guys. He's leaving them. I come to you, he says to the Father. I'm coming to you. And he is concerned for them. He's concerned for their well-being because he knows what's ahead for these guys. He knows what lays ahead for these guys. He knows that each one of them are going to be martyred for his namesake. You go back and look at what happened to every single disciple except John. And even John was thrown into a pot of oil. Look back and look at every single one of them was martyred into the kingdom. Every one of them. And knowing that he's going to leave these guys behind, Jesus does the best thing that he can possibly do. He commits them to the Father. They're yours, Lord. You gave them to me. I kept them as long as I can. And now I'm giving them back to you. They're yours. They're yours. Why? Because he's assured that the Father has their best interests at heart. He's assured that the Father knows what he's doing. And if we take Jesus' example, the best thing we can do for anyone in our lives, anyone around, through intercessory prayer, is commit them to the Father. I cannot change this person. I can't force this person to change their lives. I can't do it. I am helpless to do it. But Lord, you can. By your Holy Spirit, you can change their life. I commit them to you. That doesn't mean we stop loving them. It doesn't mean we stop helping them or praying for them. But I'm committing them to you totally, Lord. They're your children. You do something with them. I think it's a great prayer. So Jesus wants these guys to know how much he's concerned about them and how much he loves them. So he basically is praying to the Father for this. And then he comes in verse 11b through 13. He says, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me that they may be at one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So here we see Jesus' desire. I'm leaving. I'm leaving and I want now you to keep them. And the idea here is to keep them safe. It carries the connotation of keeping them safety, keeping an eye on them, putting protection around them. Jesus prays that the Father will keep his followers safe. I'm not going to be in the world any longer, but they're still here, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. We studied it at great length, his name. What does it mean? Well, it means all of God's resources, all of God's power, all of God's everything would be used. All of his character and nature would be used and all of his ability. Jesus is asking God to assume responsibility for these men directly because he's no longer going to be with them personally. But we do know the Holy Spirit will be with them. We do know the Holy Spirit will come upon them and give them power and take the place of Jesus Christ in their heart. Because the Holy Spirit will show Jesus to them. We know that. But see Jesus' prayer here. He tells the Father, I kept these guys. This is great news for us. It really is. Remember John 10 when Jesus said, nothing can pluck us out of the Father's hand? Nothing loosens his grip on us. 
See, here we have a, a key promise for overcoming the darkness in our life. When we walk in the light as Jesus is the light, when we abide in him and never seeing ourselves separated from him. Notice to what end they are kept. Notice to how long they are kept. First, you have unbroken unity. That they are one as we are one. I have kept them in your name. Jesus was conscious that the Father was at work in him, and he was able to supply him with the power he needed, and the power is the Holy Spirit, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed for them that they would be one with the Father. We need to keep from division. We need to keep this unity. We need to be of one mind, one accord, like-mindedness in Christ. We need to have that in our lives. There's a blessing in unity. There's a blessing when we come together as one. Look what happened when the disciples, the 120 stayed in the, in the upper room. Look at the wondrous things happen. If you read through that, it says they were all of one accord. They were all like-minded, having the same thoughts. They stayed in that room. Man, something powerful happened, didn't it? Something powerful happened to them. That's, so Jesus is praying for unity. Strength and power in unity. By praying like this, we can guard others in the consciousness that God has kept them safe. Pray for each other that God would keep us safe. God would guard us. We must pray for them as Jesus prayed for the disciples. We can't keep them, but God is able to do that. God is able and more than willing. And he says, I've done it. I've succeeded. I've succeeded in keeping them, Lord, but only one was lost. And that's the son of perdition. That's the one who the scripture said what happened to. He's talking about Judas Iscariot, obviously. One who was really never a part of the group. Oh, he looked like he was part of the group outside. He fit right in. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yeah, he knew all the great Christianese to speak. But when his heart came down to it, he didn't believe. He wasn't one of them. So he was full on everybody, but he didn't fool Jesus. He didn't fool Jesus. I've kept them all. I've kept them all except one. The one whose heart was never towards you, the one whose scripture says had to be fulfilled. I don't know why I wrote this, but Judas was an independent contractor. <laughs> he, was, he did his own thing. He did his own thing. Why? Because he was kept by Satan. He was kept by Satan for this one point. And furthermore, the Lord points them that they will be kept by his word, and by doing this, this will lead to inner joy. Jesus prays that his followers were experienced a full measure of his own joy. Um, coming to you now, Father. But these things I say that while I'm still here, so that these guys may have my full measure of joy. You think they ever got it? You think the disciples ever had that full measure of joy? You are Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.